0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You know, in recent weeks, our senior leader, Caleb, has uh, been preaching, has preached a uh, Father's Solution Sermon Series. So if you have not gone on our website and checked out the podcast, I'm actually very proud of our website. <laughs> it's very sophisticated. It has a lot of the media, from the videos to the, med- um, to the teachings and podcasts. But his sermon series on Father's Solutions is is up. And I want to encourage you guys to uh, to go and listen to this message. My plan has always been to as soon as he finished his series on Father's Solution to preach on what has really transformed my life, which is Father Heart of God, okay? Father's love message. And to bring about sort of continued message from what Caleb has started so that I could encourage you guys, please go on the podcast, listen to the message because it's related. But, and, and Caleb has preached how great leaders point the way, but fathers go the way. Fathers walk with the sons and daughters and show and lead them. And we recognize that within our culture, there is a lot of great teachers, great leaders, but very few fathers. And so more than ever, Especially in the season of our life where this generation that we are seeing happening, we need fathers to rise up. We need the father, especially the men and the women, to be father figure for the next generation. Amen. So his message challenged me. At the same time, I recognized that what's going on in our culture and our need for father's solution. Amen. Okay? So I want to encourage you guys about that. Um, But as I listened to his messages, I came to recognize or be reminded of what we are seeing in our culture today. More than ever, we are seeing a fatherless generation. Years ago, if a child was fatherless, it was often, it could be war. um, Or the lack of medical technology so they were passed away earlier. Now, when we see the fatherless, it's so rampant because of the high divorce rates or children born out of wedlock or even within marriage, even with two-parent families, the absence of fathers even within that context. And we are seeing the impact of the fatherless having on the social order across the board. I read some statistics, and it was, it's pretty frightening, but let me uh, show it to you. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, which is 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show uh, social who show behavior disorder come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average. 63% of youth suicide are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. 75% of adolescent patients of chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 43% of all U.S. children in the United States live without fathers. 43% 43% of all U.S. children do not have fathers in their house. That's a crazy number. It, it, there's a whole longer list I did not read for you, but it's extensive. And, and the conclusion of all of this, of the fatherless, and, and its impact of, of our next generation's social dysfunction. They are looking to replace the father role with their peers, their friends, in the chemical abuse, in a uh, bad relationship sexual. the list goes on of what they're trying to replace in the absence of the fathers. I think that we can recognize that we have a problem in our culture. But if we fail to recognize the impact of the fatherless, but what we fail to recognize is the impact of the fatherless in our spiritual walk. Impact of the fatherless in our spiritual walk because way we see our earthly fathers is often how we relate to how we see our heavenly father. So if you have a broken home and you grew up fathers, you may have an orphan spirit. You may have a dysfunctional view of your father or heavenly father view. Brokenness begets brokenness. And there's just been generations of generations of brokenness where fathers having children and they... Teach what they know, which is brokenness. When I think of how did this all begin? How did this dysfunction of the fatherless begin? I look at, rewind all the way back to Genesis 3 of the earliest fall. Let let me consider when the devil tempted mankind. He first made them forget their identity and forget God's word. Two things, forget their identity and forget God's word. But consider how the devil made them forget their identity. It's very interesting. Uh, Genesis uh, 1.26. Before God created, he had a plan. What was his plan? He's, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock of all over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God, so that was a plan, and then he executed. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God's plan from the very beginning was to have children, in his own image, in his own likeness, and to create a kingdom and to give it to them as his inheritance. The entire Genesis account of God's plan was in inheritance language. That's what fathers are about. They create, they provide, and then they give it away to their children that they live the blessed life. That's the original plan. But what happened? The devil comes along. And he tempts the children by saying, if you eat of this fruit, point to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if you eat of that, you can be like God. What was the lie? The lie was they were already like God. In their image, in their likeness, they are just like the Father, and he gave them the authority authority to rule. The God's authority, God's power was given to his children. They had already received that inheritance as children. They were already like God in every way as God planned them. The bait was the question. If you eat, you can be like God. It's interesting because some words can just be Left and plants a seed to manipulate the mind. The fact is, they were already Jesus, Adam and Eve were already like God. But in leaving out a temptation that you can be like God, they made them question, "I guess I'm not like God." Right? Why would he say, "I can be like God if I'm already like God? There wouldn't be no, any temptation, but that's the draw. He is a deceiver. He tricks. And not only did he trick the children of God, he tricked the Son of God in Jesus Christ. He did this in, with Jesus. He has no boundaries, right? If you remember, um, the devil manipulates and even tried to deceive Jesus. Uh, Jesus, after, uh, before he begins his ministry, we, we see that he went to the Jordan. He gets baptized. And then the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted every day by the devil. But it's interesting what the devil did, though. He said, if you are the Son of God, do this. He said, turn this rock to stone. And then a little bit later, if you are the son of God, then jump. Let the angels catch you. If you are who you say you are, then do this. Do the miracles. Let's see. Well, that's that's the trap. He says, if you are the son of God, perform. Do the miracles. Do the hard work. And he does this to us. If you are a child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, perform. Let's see who you are. Let's see how much you pray. Let's see how much you read the Bible. Let's see how much you serve the church. Let's see how well you preach. That's the trap. If you say who you are, perform. Let's see your identity based on your performance. But that's the law. Amen? Amen? But it's interesting that when I read this text, it's interesting how the devil tried to make Jesus forget his identity. And it was as subtle as leaving out a word. Leaving out a simple word. He said, if you are the son of God, do this. But if you remember, before he went into the wilderness, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. When he went into the Jordan River, he went to the water and he came out. What happened then? The Holy Spirit descended upon him, and the voice from heaven said, You are my son. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You guys remember that? The father didn't say, You are my son. He said, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The devil left out a word. He tried to get Jesus to forget he was the beloved. Simple as leaving out a word. The son, knowing the father's love, reminded of his love, knowing that he was the father's beloved, knew that he could conquer the world. Knew that he could go into the ministry and and suffer and, and, and have the obstacles and the oppositions of all kinds of the religious Because he was the beloved. And when he knew the love of the Father, he knew he could overcome all things. He did not serve in the ministry for love, but from love. He did not work. He did not preach. He did not perform the miracles for love, to prove his identity, but from love. The devil tried to get the son to forget he was the beloved. And he tries to get you to forget that you are his beloved. How much does God love you? He calls you son. He said, you're worth dying for. He said, you're so good, you're so loved. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. Let's personalize that. For God so loved Monica. God so loved you, Jimmy. Every one of you so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. That's the central message of the gospel. For God so loved. But the devil tries to get the son and the daughters to forget that we are his beloved. Because we sometimes hear the shaming words when he says, you call yourself a Christian. I know what you did last night. I know where you've been. I know what you watched. You think you can fool others when you come to church. I know you don't pray. I know you don't read the Bible. He comes with accusing words, makes us question who we are. Makes us question our faith that we are sons or daughters at all. And sometimes we fall to the accusations and the lies. The tactic that he used on Eve He used on Jesus and he will use on us. But the question is do you know that you are loved? Do you know God loves you? Because if you know that, that will secure you. You wouldn't need to perform if you know the security of the love of the Father. So, do you know how much you're loved? Not theoretically, not just memorizing the scripture, okay? I'm not talking about the stuff here. Do you know it here? You know, when I was in college, I, I didn't get saved until the fall of 1992. I was 21 years old, and I had my BC days. It wasn't perfect. <laughs> but I remember when my friends shared the gospel with me, talked about hell and i remember thinking if there is a hell i deserved it because i knew i was honest with myself i deserved hell i didn't deserve heaven of the stuff that i did stuff that i put people through i knew if there was a hell i deserved it, and it was scary but the good news in jesus christ was that he paid the price for anyone who believes, and he shared the gospel. And as I heard the gospel preached about this Son of God who came and died in my stead, and whoever believes will be will be saved, and heaven can be had. When I received that message, I was like, "That's me. I would take it, right?" Because, man, I deserve hell, but he's willing to give it. I will take that. But here's what happened: I had fear of God. I feared God because I looked at him as this holy God. I wasn't, and I revered him. I had great respect. In that, I feared. And and the Bible is very clear. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? That's a good thing, right? But then my sister says, it's good that you have fear for God, but you should know his love. But I wondered, how do you love a God you can't see? And how can you receive his love? That was the great mystery. How can we know God's love? And so I, I was challenged. I, but at the same time, I wonder how many people in the church come to church because of fear and reverence of God but have no love. How many people were like me? who have great respect and fear of the heaven and hell, come to church trying to be righteous but have no love. When I look at love, I believe love comes from relationship. Love comes from spending time and doing things with the one you love. I look at my wife. She's beautiful. I like spending time with her. So I love her based on My interaction, time spent, years together, sufferings together, that's love. That's commitment. I look at my children, same thing, interactions, time. But also love comes from identity. She is my wife. I am her husband. Love is expected in such a covenant relationship. Love is not only expected, it's deserved From the identity of who we are, she is mine, I am hers. That's the identity. My children, they are my children. They come from my seed. They come from my DNA. They look like me. They act like me. My goodness, they are me, mini-me. And I'm blessed by that. But hey, I love them from their birth, not because they performed well, but simply because they are my children. In the identity of who they are, I love them. So love comes from also identity. I want you to get this, church. We don't perform for love. From love, we act what is the appropriate response. When God created Adam and Eve from the very beginning, it was he was a father to them. He had a plan. Let us make man in our image. Let, let them rule over. Let, let, I'm going to go aside of what I prepared, but I think this is important. When people think, why did God create man? There's often two mythical answers that people give. And I say myth because I don't think it's correct. But I want you to ponder, why did God make Adam and Eve in the first place? Two most common answers, if I were to ask around, why do you think God created man? Most two common answers is to worship him or to serve him. Two most common answers. But let's consider that. Did God in heaven with how many angels for all eternity, angels in angelic voices singing hallelujah, praise God, holy are you, great are you, and God's like, yep, yep, yep. Nope, I just need one more person to tell me how great I am. Did God make man for simply for his pleasure because he needed worshipers to tell him how great he is? No. God is not so insecure to create man for that purpose. I think out of response of who we are, we ought to, but that wasn't his reason why he created. So I don't think that's the right answer. What about for service? Did God, after six days of hard work, because he said, let there be, poof, it was done. After six days, whew, I need a vacation. Did God say, I'm tired, I need workers, I need somebody to tend my estate, my, you know, kingdom. So let's make man to manage and facilitate. He wouldn't be all-powerful. So I don't think God created man for sake of worship or service. So why? God who is love. God who is a source of love with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit pre-existing before any creation. Share perfect love for one another. And I imagine like a perfect family. I don't think Jesus even raises his voice. At the father. Not like a teenager, right? <laughs> Perfect father-son, Holy Spirit relationship. And they had so much love. Out of the overflow of their love, they say, let us have another made in our likeness, in our image. And let them rule. The inheritance language. Let's build a kingdom. right, With the most beautiful birds and animals and, and Right? beautiful garden, and let them rule. Let's give them our authority, kingdom authority. Let them be kings and queens and rule. That was the original plan. It was the procreation language. If you read Genesis 5, there's, you know, some portions of the Bible can be pretty boring. Some portions of the Bible, I guess, someone begot, 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 and there's just names after names after names, right? We usually ignore that and just read after what happens after. But in Genesis 5, the language of the begot, begot, begot was God made man. God had Adam in his own image, in his own likeness. And then Adam had Seth in his own image, in his own likeness. Seth had begot, begot, begot. The language, my point is, the start of a family, start of father, the very first father of all was God who made Adam in his own image. And Adam had sons. God's the father. Out of love, he created. We have to know that. That was God's original plan. But when Adam and Eve sinned, intimacy was lost. There was a chasm of separation between God and mankind. What God intended was to walk with Adam and Eve in the spirit, in, in the cool of the day, as the Bible might say. But it is Holy Spirit that walked with the son and daughter in the garden on a daily basis, speaking, communicating, and having relationship. That was the original plan. Sin entered into the picture, and there's this separation, a divide of the relationship. But here's why I'm telling you all this. Jesus went to the cross. He died for our sins. When he did, he took our replacement. He, oh, I don't want to use a, the fancy word is substitutionary atonement, which means he became our substitute on that cross. He became our sin. And then he gave us our, his identity, which is his righteousness. He exchanged it and said, you, now you are righteous. I became your sin and I died. You are righteous. And for those who believe or are given this new identity of righteousness as a saint, as a son and daughter of God, restoring our relationship, restoring that brokenness, restoring what sin ruined, he restored to our rightful place pre-Genesis 3. You guys with me so far? Back to the garden. God restored the curse. He removed it. So if Jesus removed that, what does it mean? Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He changed our identity. He brought us back pre-sin. But let me read that exact same text in Passion Translation. And Passion Translation is just another translation, not paraphrase, but the idea to idea, but often it's almost like a commentary. I I love this. Passion Translation says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you. Into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as He rises up within us, our spirits join Him in saying the words of tender affection Beloved Father, you do not receive the spirit of religious duty. Meaning, you do not have to come to church to fulfill your religious duty. You should come because God is good. And you have encountered his love and you, out of your love, you respond to our God who has restored our relationship as your sons and daughters of God himself. And from receiving his love, the truth and love, we are then transformed. Let me tell you, the religious wants to try to define their identity by what they do. But God's children define their identity by who their father is. Let me say that again. The religious try to define their identity by what they do. They fall to the trap of the accuser who says, perform. But God's people are defined by who their father is. Have you guys ever seen the movie Lion King? The classic one. The original. (laughs) Oldie but a goodie. There's a scene, and from the very beginning of that movie, before even the Lion King pops up, is that scene. And there's a music that goes, na, 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 right? Something like that. That That's pretty good? All right. Thank you. I got gotta gotta applause on that one. And then all of a sudden, the animals. It's like a Noah's Ark scene. All the animals, and, and then they turn, and they're going to the pride rock. Okay, they go to the pride rock, and that monkey appears. He goes to the king. He goes to see his cub, newborn cub. He marks his forehead and then takes him into the edge of the pride rock. And then he raises up the cub. You guys remember the scene? I know it's been a long time. All right. He raises up that cub, and the next scene is all the other animals in the kingdom Bow down, and they are worshiping that cub, right? Now, that cub is Simba, the prince, the future Lion King. What did he do to deserve such worship? He was just born. He did nothing. He's just like, (laughs) he's looking, right? He just appears, the monkey holds him up, and he receives worship. Why? Because who the father is. His identity comes from the father. It's the simple fact that his father is the king and he is a prince. He did nothing to deserve it. He was just simply born and receives such honor. Identity comes from fathers. Our identity as God's sons and daughters does not come from what we do but who our father is. But do you know who does, who tries to work to gain their identity? Orphans. The fatherless. Those who feel their identity is not worth anything. They try to prove to the world that they are something and that they are someone. Orphans and fatherless tries to prove their value to the world by what they do. I had a friend um, I was a roommate with, and he told me he was at one point in his life, his father put him up to a foster care system. Uh, I think the parents were separated. I didn't get the full details of what happened, but I know they were going through some t- tough times. They were separated. And at some point, the father said, I can't deal with you anymore. And put up his, him and his brother to foster care. And he told me the difficulties he had, how he had a chip on the shoulder, he had anger problems, he had all these things. But a lot of the patterns of the fatherless, the orphans, They try to work really hard to show others that they are valuable, that they ought to be wanted. They ought to be appreciated, right? So they're more competitive. They're hard workers. Uh, what the world may define as valuable, they work really hard to attain. So that, oh, you're missing out. That's what they want others to think. I, you wish you had a son like me they try to make themselves valuable based on what they do and try to gain identity. But work does not change our identity. Hard work might give you extra letters on a business card, but that doesn't give you identity. Hard work might give you extra digits in a bank account, but that does not give you identity. Our identity comes from our Father who gives his identity. It's in knowing the love of the Father. It's in knowing the Father's heart of God that we can be secure in our identity and we can be set free from our bondages of this world. Only when we know God's Heart. Only when we know our Father's heart can we be really set free from performance expectations. The foundation of our faith is not based on how much we love the Lord, but how much God loves us, loves you and me. That's a gift called grace, and grace is a gift that is undeserving. The law works in such a way that, that shows how much I love Jesus. That's the law. But grace is how much God loves you. Law is what can I do to offer up to God. The law is defining my identity of what I do, whereas grace is how much Christ loves me and what he has done. As Christians, we are caught, there is expectation for us to be good in our behavior. I don't disagree with that but we don't perform for love, but from love. We don't perform to be good, to earn the Father's love. We receive the Father's love, and from there we act. We respond, we serve, we honor, we worship, whatever it is that we do. But it's from love, not for love. I'm convinced that there are people who I believe that we ought to, and a lot of churches and a lot of messages, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I was one of them, <laughs> where the messages are geared towards behavior modification. Okay? Here, let's correct our bad behaviors. But I'm also convinced more now than ever in my life that if we know the Father's love, behavior will be corrected. One example. There's a story in the Bible that says a young rich ruler went to Jesus, and he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus told him, sell everything. He told him what to do, but the man walked away sad because he could not do what he was told to do. Zacchaeus was another rich guy. He was a tax collector. The people hated him. He heard Jesus was coming. He climbs up a tree just to see and Jesus acknowledged him, said, Zacchaeus, I need, to st- I need a place to stay. And he showed grace, showed affection to this unwanted man and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to spend time with you. He throws a party. Jesus spends time with him. Jesus never told him what to do. Give away, sell your possessions. But Zacchaeus, in responding to the love of Jesus, was never told what to do, but he said, I will give my possessions away. And if anyone I cheated, I give four times amount. He was never told what to do, but he did it anyways. Because he received the love of God. When we experience the love of God, we respond appropriately. Our response isn't law. It's thinking this is what I have to do to please God. But it's a response, man, I love God. He loves me so much. How can I not? Do the right thing. How can I not give him? How can I not praise him? He's so good. That, that's the truth. And if you ever hear me talk about the love of Father, and I use Jesus in synonymous, I do so because the Bible is very clear that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father God. Right? He is a perfect representation. Hebrews 1:3 writes that the Son is a radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And Jesus throughout said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is a perfect representation of the Father. When we encounter Jesus, when we encounter and know the Father's love, our life will be changed. but it has to hit here, not here. Too often we know the knowledge but not the heart. That relationship, that love, comes from spending time and knowing your identity. We are his beloved, so don't let the devil fool you to make you forget who you are. You are his beloved. You do not need to perform. You are loved. In the coming weeks, we're going to look deeper into the, the father heart what that looks like, man. I'm trying to just even organize my thoughts. But I want you guys to get it. This is a start. It's about love. Not religion, love. I need you to get that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.